This episode is brought to you by Third Eye Cacao. Third Eye Cacao is on a mission to preserve ceremonial grade cacao in the world and invite others on a journey from their head to their heart. Cacao is the fruit where chocolate comes from and is one of the most nutrient-dense superfoods on the planet. Third Eye Cacao is known for its special elixir powders that they make with herbs and adaptogens. Each blend has a unique activation for the brain, heart, and body. Cacao can be a great addition to your coffee or a replacement and has the powerful ability to begin any day with intention and ceremony. Now, I'm a huge fan of cacao. Ever since I first tried it, I noticed its heart opening effects and Third Eye Cacao makes it super easy to enjoy its benefits. Just take a couple of the chips out of the bag, throw them directly into your mouth, which I like to do, or make a drink with it if you have a little more time. By the way, Third Eye Cacao is the best tasting cacao I've ever tried. So go to thirdeyecacao.com and that's third eye with a three, three R-D, iCacao.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 11%. Once again, that's third eye cacao with a three, dot com, promo code TIMEWHEEL. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different? is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL.
All right, we are rolling. Ben Brown, how are you today, brother? What's happening, brother Matt? I'm feeling, yeah, super alive today. I've had such a great start to my day. And mm -hmm. um, it is the most beautiful summer's day down here in Cape Town in the south of Africa. And mm -hmm. yeah, like I was saying to you just now before we hit record, over the last few days I've moved, moved house closer to the city, feeling mm -hmm. like uh, it's a huge transition between being deep in nature in the south of Cape Town in like a little eco village called Scarborough. And now we've moved into the city for a number of reasons, but mostly just to be on that progressive, um, productive vibe and get some yeah. fucking work done. <laughs> that reminds so me of Gary good. V a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not quite Gary as intense v. as Gary V, but... <laughs> right, not as intense. Yes, well, welcome, welcome. Um, a couple of questions I've been mulling over asking you is, you know, thinking back to your creative path and when it began, is, have you always been a creative person? Have you always wanted to make videos and mm. document what you're up to, you know, because I know social media is, is kind of, you know, it's new to the scene. I mean, I guess a lot of people grew up with it and it, it being in their lives already. But for us, you know, as we came up, Instagram and Facebook weren't a thing. YouTube was a thing back in the day, but it wasn't mm -hmm. nearly as prevalent as it is now. So I'm just, yeah. I'm curious, like what, what sparked your creative path? Like what early mm -hmm. memories uh, of, you know, uh, you wanting to create stuff? Like Make how stuff. did this all begin mm -hmm. for you? You know, I, I guess it, really rewinding the clock back i just i have many memories of um my my mum's dad my granddad um mm. pop pop we call him it was an artist and he loved to paint just for mm. fun really and he also was a gardener avid gardener he wanted to make the garden so beautiful for my grandma to enjoy and then he would take pic photos of the flowers and then print them out and then paint them and wow. um and then if ever I was doing anything arty or creative, my mom would say like, oh, you're also an artist. Like you mm -hmm. also can draw, you can also paint and you've got it from pop pop and it's come down through me and I can, you know, so a lot of permission yeah. slips from an early age. Um, and that was all, some of my earliest memories were, were of me um, building Lego, dude. Like Lego oh, was a yeah. really big activator for my creativity and my imagination. Same. And, um, I just got loads of secondhand Lego from my cousins and I would only want Lego from birthdays and Christmas. And I just pull all of the different kits and create my own mad spaceship. with like tiny totally. wheels on the bottom. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, me and my dad would sit and build spaceships. I remember that much. And so there's always been something about building and making something. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I went to school, I loved art because I didn't have to remember something. I wasn't uh, measured on how good I was at it, really. You couldn't, it was so, it was subjective. And although there was a bit of a distortion in the way that they teach art at school, like in that they have to grade you, um, sure. ultimately. Like when I did, in the UK, we do our GCSEs when we're 15 and then we graduate school at 16. And mm -hmm. so my GCSEs, I, I got an A star in art, an A star in PE, which is physical education, like sports, 
And then I just got C's across the board for everything else because I was like, ah, bare minimum effort. I want to do art and sport. Right. That's it. And that was really also a reflection of the the way I was ultimately going to go in my career as an athlete mm-hmm. before I really focused on the art side of things. So I was, I jumped in a kayak when I was like eight years old and I loved it and I ended up getting quite serious about it and training, um, and racing and I was on the British team for like since the age of 15 to sort of 25 and mm-hmm. um, to counterbalance that structure and very masculine like doing doing um, and a lot of suffering and self-induced pain through training and all of that stuff I, I, I was always kind of in the back of my mind wondering what my creative outlet might be um, and then I my my dad who is still is quite big into technology was buying the latest camcorder like mm. with the tapes and things and i'd love these things and i'd i'd grab it on on our holidays and like take charge of the filming of oh. the, the holiday and then when i got home i'd watch that back and then i'd do the whole stop motion pausing the camera and moving my lego around and just fucking around with wow. visuals like that really yeah. um but never days on end it wasn't like i became a, a director at the age of sure. 12 or anything i was just testing it out mm-hmm. um and then i i i found a camera on our front lawn um mm. with the film in it that only had one shot taken on it and i used that basically to to capture my imagery from now on and i i started by then doing a little bit of traveling with the kayaking as well going to some international races around europe and stuff so I was taking photos of my travels and having the films developed and I enjoyed that a lot. And then I also did a a one-year black and white darkroom film photography course at college at the same time as studying sports and exercise science. So I always was like, I'm an athlete, but I want to make stuff and I want to be an athlete. Mm. Um, Yeah, and then people started telling me that they really enjoy my photos and I started getting some feedback from people Um, and I remember specifically um, seeing some kind of advert somewhere online for the GoPro when it first came out the very first Mm. one it might have even been like a kickstarter I don't know how they started but I threw a hundred dollars at the thing Mm. 10 weeks later this thing arrived and it worked a little bit but didn't really but the idea was I wanted to stick a camera on the back of my kayak and film my races and my travels and see how that worked um and so wow. eventually that's what I ended up doing. And I filmed a couple of videos and really the the key for me bringing visuals as an offering was from how much I enjoyed music. So mm. I, I, I've always been a huge music fan. And that was a lot thanks to my cousin, David, who is a bit older than me um, and a skateboarder, surfer, um, graphic design wizard. And he would just... Um, this is back in the days when mini disc players were a thing. Mm. So he'd have all these albums. And when we'd, um, when I'd go visit him, I'd take my mini disc player that I'd got for Christmas and just burn as many of his albums as I could. So there's like Rage Against yep. Machine albums and, Love it. and like Blink 182. And he just introduced me to all these rock bands. And so I'd start connecting with that music too. Um, and yeah that so the the creativity within me was really i remember it the music fueling my emotional response yeah. and being like i love this song so much it's it's making me feel a certain way mm-hmm. and then being like i want to put video to this as a like right. a 
compilation offering. Totally. Um, and and so that's what I did just for fun, really. And in the beginning, I'd filmed some kayaking races and some trips, um, and I'd put my sponsors' logos going at the beginning and then sliding <laughs> off, and they loved it. Um, right. And then I'd stick that up on YouTube and. And then they'd send me more paddles or whatever the gear was, and they'd be happy with that. Is this um, the same YouTube channel that is currently your YouTube, or mm-hmm. was it a previous? Yeah, if you one? go back far enough on the okay. <laughs> on the videos, cool. all my old videos are up there. After checking, that's dope. I remember making a video once to um, you know that that duo LMFAO party okay. rockers that song okay. <laughs> like or whatever the one is. I probably um, heard it. It's not. It was very it's not ringing a bell. Like. Commercial house, um, but just a very GoPro, like boom, 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 lots of quick edits mm-hmm. and slow mo bits, and um, that video got like ten thousand views. I was like, geez, like yeah, that's quite a lot nice. of people. And it was about the time that I was starting to wonder, like, how how am I actually going to make money? Because there's no money in kayaking, really. You either retire mm-hmm. as an athlete and become a coach, and then that's like very limited. And it's not. I kind of wanted to move away from that, so I focused mm-hmm. more on the video. And it was at the same time as Canon brought out the um, 5D Mark II, where you oh, could yeah. start to film more cinematic stuff. And I started following Philip Bloom and those other um, cinematographers that were bridging the gap between the film set rigs and like affordable sure. cinematic um, gear, yeah. and just diving into learning how this whole process works, and then taking any all of my money and just spending it on a, a new lens or whatever. Right. Um, and so, yeah, the, the creativity, I suppose, has always been wanting to come through and be yeah. expressed within me. Um, but I was so obsessed with being an athlete, um, sure. that it was like, like anything that came into my life that wasn't going to make me help, make me go faster in a kayak. I just left it alone. I just wasn't mm-hmm. interested. I was like, is it going to make me go faster? No, then no. Um, and the creative stuff also was part of that. So it's kind of a, a fine balance. And then I, um, at about 25, after I'd had a couple of really good years of racing where I'd achieved what I wanted to achieve, um, like my biggest goal was to become marathon world champion. Mm. And I managed to do that in 2010. Wow. That's huge. Um, wow. Thank you. Yeah, it was yeah, I'm incredibly proud of that achievement. And because mm-hmm. it was it was really like f- since the age of 10 years old, I was like, I want to be like these guys at, at my canoe club who are bringing home world championship medals and stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, to achieve that goal was a huge relief as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, now I can, if I want to go and do something else, that at least has been done. Right. Um and so that's, yeah, that's what I chose to do. I um, started making videos and films for internet businesses here and there and charged them like $500 here and mm-hmm. just get busy working, figuring out After Effects and stuff. And then um, and then I came to South Africa for the first time mm-hmm. and we took a Land Rover uh, east into the really rural rural parts of South Africa where people are living in rondavals, like round huts, and there's like no roads mm. really, and um, just had my mind blown by the beauty of South Africa. And I took my 5D with me, and I had like, and I, sh- I filmed the whole thing just um, and put it together to a beautiful piece of music, and that got 
seen by one of my old school friends, Louis Cole, who online, his name is fun for Louis. And, mm-hmm. um, he, he basically said, mate, I'm making a living from YouTube now. I've got two mm. channels, my main channel, and I do a vlog channel and I'm getting enough views. That I can actually make a living from this. And then I can travel the world and do whatever I want. You should try yeah. doing this too. You mm-hmm. can already edit and make films and your life is relatively interesting compared to most people. So go for it. And that's exactly what I did. And then wow. I was invited um, by a guy called Jack Harry's and his brother, mm-hmm. Finn Harry's, who had a million subscribers on YouTube. They were these young 17, 18 year old, beautiful London boys who were just making really fun content for a huge audience. And they invited mm-hmm. me to India to go oh, and wow. do the rickshaw run which is like an adventure race for two weeks from the northeast down to Rajasthan in tuk-tuks. You know, those like little three-wheeler things. Oh, yeah. Wow. I was like, definitely want to come and do this. And they were like, we need you to come and help film this whole thing. We're going out in a whole crew. And so I looked at the dates and it lined up exactly over the world championships. And I was like, uh, fuck. Right. Okay, here is a, a crossroads. Right. Yeah. But in my body, I was like, I didn't even pretend to think that I was going to carry on kayaking. I was like, I'm doing this. This is this mm. a no-brainer for me. This looks like the ultimate adventure. And also so much freedom from being an athlete, like sure. st- strict structure for years and years and years. Mm. Now it was like, oh, breath of fresh air. I can actually do whatever I want. And I can make these videos, which looks really fun. Mm-hmm. Um And so that's exactly what I did. And when we got back from India, I committed to doing a video every day. And I did the daily vlogging thing for a few years Uh and taking a few days off here and there. But making a video every day, not only was, I mean, it was incredibly hard work, but it accelerated my learning process about how to edit, how to pull a story together, what to shoot, what not to shoot. Like, Uh um, and it was also trying to teach me how to do this kind of huge volume of creativity in a sustainable way. But I didn't know that at the time. So I just kept drinking coffee and staying up late and getting the fucking edits done. Because <laughs> also I had this huge audience that was just going, Shh. I had 100,000 subscribers. And then I started seeing Google wow. paying me like $1,000 a month. Suddenly I was like, okay, this is happening. Nice. Brands were reaching out to me. And I was like, okay, the, the vlogs are my vehicle for freedom now. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy doing them and I'm having fun with my best mates and we're, we're living the dream. And it was about the time when YouTubers, I mean, there was probably 10 of us doing daily videos in the world. Um, and so it was quite early days and the advertising paid really well. Um, and it was also the time when if, if you'd started a YouTube channel and I met you and we had a conversation about it, I would get my camera out and be like, this is Matt. Go and mm-hmm. check out, guys. This is Matt. Go and check mm-hmm. out his videos. <laughs> I will link him in the description. He's an awesome dude. And then people would actually go to the link and actually subscribe and then watch your videos. Right. And we could push like five to 10,000 subscribers to people just in a mm. shout out in a video. Wow. This is when the big guys, if I got, if someone hit like on one of my films, and they had like a million followers on Twitter, I'd have 20,000 subscribers overnight. Just wow. That's just how it used to work. Now people, right. it doesn't really work like that so much anymore. Right, um, right. And yeah, so we were really in the golden age, I, I mm. feel like, of, of creator-led YouTube days. Mm. Right. 
Wow, amazing story. <laughs> a lot a of lot. parallels. <laughs> a lot of parallels yeah. here. Um, specifically with how you said your dad had a camera that you would like to kind of use. Yeah. Very exactly the same thing here. Um, really? Yeah. And I didn't, you know, like what I would want to do is make little movies about the video games I loved. Like I remember one of the Rad. first films I made was I wanted to make a Mario Kart film because we were we loved Mario Kart on the N64 when I was like, I don't know, five or six years old or something. And we would, you know, literally ask my dad to to film us as we would use these little, I think we, what we're using skateboards is our Mario Karts. And I would get all my friends and be like, you're Luigi, I'm Mario, you know, <laughs> you're Bowser, whatever. And like, we would do this skateboarding stuff. And so I, I definitely relate to those early childhood memories of, of using the, the camera. Mm. Um, There's something so, so many- nostalgic about that camcorder like handy cam yeah. style footage is like very cool yes yes i gotta dig those up i know they exist um those videos are still around somewhere um as well as pairing music with other things and i remember um a friend of mine was super into anime he's actually the guy that got me into anime when i was probably about 12 years old and we would make these things called AMVs, anime music videos, and we would cool. put them on YouTube. And what you would do is you take a song you like, and then like an episode or a number of episodes of an anime series, and like combine like the dopest moments. Like for example, we would get Dragon Ball Z fights, and we would pair it with music that we liked, you know, and we would have mm-hmm. the fight like going to our beat and our idea of how the fight should go and then we would upload Sick. those and get views and stuff so um that's that was uh, how i started on youtube actually was with amvs and then it did turn into the vlogging um very similar to to you and oh skateboarding as well so the mm-hmm. way that you did kayaking is that what it was kayaking mm-hmm. um i was doing skateboarding and i was like the, the guy with the, the camera that would follow around the skaters yes. and get the like the dopest skaters in the school. I would get all their dope tricks and take them home and edit them and pair it to, to music and send it to them. And then they'd share it and they'd be like, who did yeah. this? And then I would get kind of that recognition like you talked a little bit about as well. And like mm-hmm. it pushed me forward like, wow, I'm good at this. Like people mm-hmm. like when I do this. So that's really cool. I, I did have a question about what you decided to film as your vlogger um career started to unfold like each day how was it that ideas would come to you um that would that you'd say i want to film this i want this to be the subject of today's vlog or vlog Mm -hmm. um well you know what was it in your life that was kind of bubbling up that you were like i think this is interesting i want to make it or this topic is standing out to me because as a as a vlogger there's so many you have to come up with so many ideas. And yeah. I'm just curious, like, how were they flowing to you? Yeah, it's a really great question. And I immediately I want to say, like, um, an audience, my audience, really just wanted to see whatever I was up to, most of them. Mm-hmm. And I discovered that quite early on, that I didn't have to be um, doing crazy stuff all the time, necessarily. There were people like the realness, 
They liked mm-hmm. when I was at home with my mum and dad. They liked when I go for a dog walk or mm-hmm. to the coffee shop or some blogs I made where it was um, I'd film maybe going for a run in the morning and then what I ate for breakfast. And people mm-hmm. are curious around all the details about how, especially if, so I was, um, I was told a lot that I was uh, a role model for people. And mm-hmm. I, I understood that to be true. Um, but when I think about who's my role model, I am curious about what Aubrey Marcus has for breakfast, what sure. time he gets up, what he does in his spare time, like right. all of the details. Cause it's like, I, I want to see myself in him mm-hmm. and I want to emulate what he's doing in as many ways as possible. Just in case one of those ways is the key, the secret mm-hmm. to like whatever he's got that I want. Right. And what I had, I think that people wanted was that sense of freedom. I had just come off the back of like 15 years of solid athletic training. So I was like very fit and strong and healthy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anything other than being very fit and strong and healthy. Um, and I was also an endurance athlete. So like I could squeeze so much into a day, like go to sleep, have like four hours sleep and get up and do it all again the next day. Um, and which is unrealistic for a lot of people, I think. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'd have days where it was like, this is what I'm having for breakfast. And I'd go to a cafe, set my laptop up and edit yesterday's video and film myself doing a time lapse of that. And then coffee right. shop, like you can literally, f- you can make anything beautiful as well. And sure. you can sort of tell a story. And I had like these sort of down tempo, lo-fi, like hip hop kind of beats going on. So it's like, whatever we're up to really, we're just going to film it and just put it to this cool music. And the way mm-hmm. that that would be received, people would give me feedback saying like, your, your vlogs always relax me. I feel really relaxed after watching them. I watch right. them with my breakfast in the morning before I go to work. And it motivates me to know that it is possible to have like a dream lifestyle. And um, right. also I was very positive about things. I was like eternally optimistic about all sorts of things. And that right. looking back was how one of the reasons I was so magnetic as well. I was um, mm-hmm. really, I could just pull things that I needed and wanted into my life. And which is what helped accelerate the whole process of me accumulating an audience online mm-hmm. um, and making lots of money as well in the process. And the dream, I mean, it didn't take many years between the word vlogger becoming like a, a known word. Sure. And then in two years, maybe later, you'd ask kids at school what they want to be when they're older. And it's like YouTuber, Instagrammer, done, oh, nothing wow. else. And that's partly because we would only quite often show the highlights of our day. Nobody sure. wants to see like the arguments or the, right. the, that shit because they don't tune in to watch that. Um, right. And so Yeah, it's an interesting one because ultimately I believe that people want to know the secrets of how to live a free life. Mm -hmm. And when you're so explicitly doing that and showing everybody online just how free your life is the whole time, um, it can be incredibly captivating. And, Mm -hmm. And then once we started to pick up momentum, also it's the, it's the, it's the, it's this, um, from people who were like my day ones for them to see me saying, making 
a video. I made my first blog on a GoPro of all things <laughs> with a little um, microphone sticking out the side of it. It was very strange. And mm-hmm. people online were like, who is this guy making a vlog with a GoPro? This is so weird. <laughs> and then people kind of liked that. I Then I bought this camera. Now I'm doing it with this camera. And so seeing mm-hmm. someone go from like, I'm a total beginner at this pretty much, right. all the way up to like, I just got my first brand deal. People want to see that progress um, mm-hmm. and and they're, they're there for it every step of the way. And there was also like tips and tricks around saying like, got a big announcement coming. Big announcement always gets people to sure, like come sure. in. And usually the big announcements were like, oh, we're working with a tourism board now. We're going to Alberta, Canada for two weeks snowboarding. And mm-hmm. I was so genuinely grateful and surprised like pleasantly surprised at just how much bigger everything was getting and how much more, how many places we were getting invited to. And we became those travel influencers as mm-hmm. travel influence, as travel influencing became a thing. Right. Um, and so that became the dream. And it's like, well, these guys are getting paid to travel and make videos. But of course people don't see like the endless hours and the sacrifices that go into making yeah. daily videos. They just see all the best bits. Right. Um, and yeah, so I, I went through different phases of what kind of content that I was offering. Um, but I suppose a lot of it was focused around me being a photographer. And at the same time, Instagram was blowing up and photographers were blowing up with Instagram and making mm-hmm. a living from it. And mm-hmm. so I would film behind the scenes of shoots, like where to be on a hike, what time of day lugging the rucksack up, looking in the bag, going to the camera shop to buy a new lens. All of the behind the scenes of being a photographer was super juicy for any up-and-coming amateur photographers. Yeah. Because um, it was also just giving them permission slips as well to be like, anybody can do this. You guys can do this too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do remember being very clear with myself that like the intention, what I want people to get from my videos ultimately if they're going to stick around and watch for a while, I just want them to feel like um, they want to get outside and like get Ooh. out of the house, get onto a mountain, go for a walk, go to the woods, just get out and about. Right. And from the way I did that was like, I had a camera, so I'm going to get out and about and go shoot. That's, that was my reason for getting out. And so right. that, that was very consistent through all of my content too. And, and still is really as a right. photographer first and foremost. Mm. Absolutely. Um, number of questions popped up. One is when you said people made money from Instagram, is that just from brand deals? Yep. So it's yep. like, come to my coffee shop and I'll pay you? Or what What was it like? Because I've never really been in, on that side as as much as helping people understand and educating them as to how to run their Instagram. Mm-hmm. Like we had a social agency for a number of years uh, I guess it's technically still around, but it's not really where my interest lies and we don't mm-hmm. have many clients in that um, sphere anymore. But for a number of years, Time Wheel would just kind of consult and help people that don't, you know, usually older people um, that don't know how to use Instagram, Yeah, give them some best practices, give mm-hmm. them some tips and tricks, help them set up their profile, help them understand it, mm-hmm. help them roll out their announcements, their their Catch digital them assets. Up, basically. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Yeah. So, and when we would, you know, we would get a retainer monthly for doing that. Like mm-hmm. uh, you were on the other end of that, where it's like actually your channel is 
got value to brands. So how did yeah. that work? Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all about eyeballs and mm-hmm. demographics. Um, and as we know from how expensive promoting anything on Facebook or even YouTube can be, the reason it's expensive is because they can hone in on exactly who you want to sell your product to. You're no longer chucking a billboard up and hoping that the right person mm. sees it. So um, with the analytics behind the scenes, being able to see that I have, of, of my half a million followers, I have um, 75% male audience predominantly mm-hmm. throughout my career. And most of them are in the US and the UK and Germany. Um, mm-hmm. And then some random places like Singapore and um, some other beautiful parts of the world that I've, I, for some reason I blew up in. Mm-hmm. And, and so a brand will come and say, okay, we maybe it's a camera strap brand and you're a photographer, you've got all this high-quality content online. Mm-hmm. Um, we've found you on YouTube or whatever. Uh, would you be willing to, like, what? what's your rates, basically? And so this was, yeah. I, I struggled with finding a proper manager. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was kind of figuring all of this out myself. And so that's that's the one way you can make money on, on Instagram is just by saying, okay, if you want a photo to my 1,000 people, mm. it's going to cost you $150. Or if okay. you want one, if you want a photo with you tagged and also put on my story and mm-hmm. then also another story of me like using it or even holding it up and saying, this is my new favorite camera strap. All right. of that can be built into uh, a package. Got it. Um, and the more followers you have and the more views you get, the more you charge pretty much. Mm-hmm. And Got it. Um, and then you can also make money through Instagram. Like I, I sold merch, I'm actually wearing one of my old merch t-shirts. And I used to sell a lot of these t-shirts and that used to be, um, a really, really great revenue stream for me. And my audience couldn't get enough of them because they liked Mm -hmm. the designs. I made them, they were all like organic and like a, um, and so I'd market my own product through Instagram now and wear my own t-shirt and use it that way to make money too. Right. Um, very cool. Yeah. But the, the, the brands, I still get reached out to by brands quite a lot um but nowhere near i remember my first brand deal actually my first major brand deal was with starbucks and i was kind of jumping on board with another campaign with some bigger (laughs) (laughs) with some bigger influences um and i they were like we want you to make because by then i was making these visual vibes you know when i went and did the um, South Africa road trip that was like my nice film, the first nice film that I made. I was like, I'm going to call them Mm -hmm. visual vibes, and that's really what I want to do. The vlogs are cool, and I enjoy doing them, but I want to make high-end quality travel films. Mm -hmm. And they they reached out, and they're like, we want you to make a Starbucks visual vibes, pushing our new, like, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I remember them saying, oh, we've got £10,000 for you. And I was blown away i was like that's so much money right that's so much money. and they were like yeah like do, do you want to do it and i was like fuck yes i want to do it of course <laughs> i'm gonna amazing. make you the sickest film ever so i took mm-hmm. before i got paid i just sold a bunch of t-shirts this is a funny story i i just sold a bunch of t-shirts and i um wasn't going to get paid until after the film had come out and i i had in my bank account like seven thousand five hundred pounds that i'd saved up 
I went straight to a camera shop and I spent (laughs) £7,449 on a Sony FS700, which was like that bigger, super slow-mo camera back in the day. And I was like, I'm going to use this to film this film in like 240 frames per second. And it was the day before the shoot as well. So I literally got home and just luckily had all the bits charged up the batteries. And then we just went into London and shot this thing in a whole day. And they Mm -hmm. loved the film. It came out really well. I think it got like a million views. Damn. And so they got really good value (laughs) in the end. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, that was was quite quite a fun one. Uh, But I've also worked with the likes of um, Audi and uh, BMW Motorrad, the the motorcycle brand side of BMW, they wanted right. to work with me and I didn't even have my motorcycle license yet. So I had to go and get my motorcycle license to then go and work with them. It was really fun. Wow. Um, yeah. I've been very, very blessed with working with Canon and Sony, lots of Sony mm-hmm. Xperia phone deals um, and all the iPhone alternatives that have like cameras that, that they right. want to show off basically. So that so was a do lot you of think- my Instagram stuff. Do you think someone was on their respective teams were like researching for top influencers in the field and they just found you and yeah, I think that's sent you works. a proposal more or less? Okay. Yeah, I just have my email in the always make it easy to be contactable. Mm-hmm. Always check your spam folder <laughs> on the junk folder. Sure, um, sure. The amount of brand deals that I've missed because I just they went straight into the wrong folder. Um, gotcha. But yeah, my advice for anybody who's who's on this path is to find a really trustworthy manager who can take mm-hmm. care of that stuff for you because i used to send reply emails pretending that i was a manager so that i could be a bit more straight and like straight to the point and say no this is how much i charge and negotiate and be mm-hmm. um because yeah I, I found myself like trying to people please with my sure. my brand deals and not getting paid as much as i I should have been so mm-hmm. yeah have a manager to do that stuff for you so it's, especially as a, a an artist online to have the time to do the art instead of doing the admin is invaluable right. and that's that's definitely something that I didn't nail in my career mm-hmm. um, that's a yeah. great lesson for people that are you know creating and trying to do it all, you know, and I think Mm -hmm. we all kind of start as a one man business, so to speak. Um, But slowly over time, as you're able to make friendships and uh, bring people in to what you're doing, and then, you know, have resources to be able to cut them in as well and and pay them for their time. Mm -hmm. um, That management position, it I, I have heard from many podcast I've done. I did a podcast with Jesse Breda, who's a founder of Gravitas Recordings, which mm-hmm. is one of the best record labels, like right. in my opinion, on the planet. And and he definitely talks highly about getting a manager. So that does seem like a reoccurring theme um, for people who want to create. That's all mm-hmm. super valuable information. I think um, people in this day and age uh, could benefit from as they're trying to grow their brands, grow mm-hmm. their podcast, grow their channels whatever it is that they're doing that's definitely amazing advice so i really appreciate it um shifting into the second part or the second gear of the podcast is i'm really interested how and when did spirituality psychedelics plant medicine 
when did all of this enter the scene? Was it before everything we've discussed, through it all, after it all? How, you know, and how did spirituality come to you? Was it something that you've been interested in for a long time, or did it come at a certain age? You know, how, how did that story unfold? It's a great question. It's a very juicy question, and I did anticipate it. <laughs> um, I think it's the most interesting part of my story, to be honest, so far, because I've done so much in my life. Like, I've, I've, I've achieved so much, and um, from the athlete stuff to the creativity side of things and all of that jazz. And I always say to people who ask these kinds of questions, like, what? Um, why have you, people are like, why have you gone on this like spiritual adventure or this internal journey now? Like, what's that all about? And anybody mm -hmm. who isn't on that or hasn't been on that path won't fully understand when I say it's the most fucking interesting thing I've ever done in my whole life. Like, right. it blows everything else out of the water. By I second miles. that. And, and so, yeah, so the story goes... So I'd landed a, a, the biggest um, film contract with Audi to make a film for their Audi RS sports YouTube channel that they're launching. Okay. And they had huge budget. And so I took this huge budget and I basically curated an epic team of my friends here in Cape Town. And we borrowed an Audi R8 V10 Plus, which was like their fastest sports car, just come out for five weeks and shot all over the Western Cape here. Got some really beautiful stuff. And at the same time, I was editing and putting out my friend Jeremy's music video that we'd shot only a couple of months before. And long story short, I was overwhelmed with work and... Mm. I was to get through, I was basically drinking coffee and smoking weed, like mm -hmm. just to make it through. And still, well, when did I, you start smoking weed? Um, as soon as I stopped kayaking. Okay. So you yeah. were like late teen? Mm -mm. Like early 20s? I only really got understanding of the, the medicines um, and drugs in general, I suppose, when I went to. Uh, Africa burn for the first time a few years ago. I was very late okay. to the party, basically. Um, but with weed, I always had um, this curiosity around it because a lot of the musicians that I enjoyed to listen to also um, sang about it and spoke to it. And I knew it was part yeah. of that, part of the culture of music. So that's really kind of what brought me in there. Same exact um, thing here. And I just want to interject mm -hmm. that that a, a similar thing happened with me where I was late to the party. And I find that people late to the party that didn't start when maybe their friends started or when they started noticing it at 15, 16 years old and they waited and waited and waited had so much more of a powerful experience, a spiritual experience yeah. than people who dived into it too early before they really their faculties were able to analyze or yeah, you've got no uh, context for like your experience that's happening right you know, by the yeah, time you're just like oh like, late 20s video like, games are more fun you know but yeah. as you wait and wait and wait and you're more developed uh psych in in your psychology um i find that to be a good thing so i just want to say for for mm -hmm. younger people like 
please wait. Don't rush. <laughs> it, yeah. If you if you want to get the most out of these experiences and these medicines, even mm. things as kind of like intro introductory mm-hmm. as cannabis, don't be doing this when you're 16. You know what I mean? Like wait till you're at least 18, maybe even 21. Yeah. Maybe even longer. The longer you wait, the more profound the experience will be. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah you were saying so. So cannabis and coffee were yeah, keeping so you going during like, this deal. Yeah, smoking and and I I had no real deep spiritual connection to the plant. Um, so I was really using the medicine, and I didn't know why. I was like mm-hmm. in this cycle of using it and feeling like I needed it. Um, and I much later on realized that that was me just numbing out basically this huge uprising of overwhelm um, mm. that was coming up where I was like investing huge chunks of money into this new production company that mm-hmm. was shooting this Audi project. The Audi project's being relatively stressful as a lot of productions are. Um, mm-hmm. And... And essentially, like putting myself into huge debt bef- as I move into this like next chapter of going from becoming, I, I was like, I'm not a YouTuber anymore. I'm a filmmaker now, and I have a team, and we're a production company, and we're going to make fucking cool stuff, and we're going to get paid right. a lot. And Curtis Morgan actually is a big influence for me in that side of things. He okay. um, he's an incredible cinematographer and director, and he's got an epic. Um, production company was involved in an epic company called brain farm media i don't know if you ever saw that red bull film um the art of flight the snowboarding film oh no 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 i haven't he helped blow up m83 with their first album was i love m83 i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it now because that film made me want to make fucking epic yeah curtis morgan so i was like on that train i was like i'm gonna be curtis morgan and I need cameras and all the gear and like a big team and loads of budgets and stuff. And it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Then, um, in divine perfect timing, I had a motorcycle accident here in okay. Cape Town. And I had this sick KTM 690, like medium sized dirt bike. And I was ripping around the streets here on a very similar day to today, like hot day. Mm-hmm. pulling wheelies and fucking around thinking I was the hot shit came around this corner opened up a bit too much and was too far back on the bike the mm-hmm. back wheel caught and bumped me high sided me over the handlebars luckily I wasn't going oh, too wow. fast but I landed on my elbow I don't know if you can see got the yeah. scar there oh wow and just like shattered my elbow oh. um and this is a month before we're going away on also the biggest deal that we've ever done with Travel Alberta, where we're now creating and curating our experiences with a budget as opposed to just being sort of hosted. Mm-hmm. That got cancelled, let down a bunch of my friends, had my first surgery. I've now got a plate and screws in there. Basically, my whole life went got turned right. upside down. And wow. for the first time in recovery with this, for a month, I was forced to just be with myself for the first mm. time ever in my whole yeah. life and not working not working Towards something not distracting myself and mm. um i i left my partner of six years mm. and that was that it felt like it was a bit of a long time coming mm-hmm. um and i finally got to the end of my tether where i was like i just need to like cancel everything 
and and really just look after myself right now and i didn't even that wasn't even a thought process for me i was just canceling shit and trying to like give gain myself some time and energy and space back um i couldn't handle the medication the painkillers that they were giving me so one of my friends at the time kyle um he would come over and I couldn't even fucking roll a joint, dude. I was like, my arm's in a sling. Like, so <laughs> oh, he man. was rolling like all these joints for me and we just sit and get goofed all day. And yeah. that was my pain medication for that. But again, just still numbing out the, and trying to avoid not just the physical pain of what was happening in my body, but the, the, um, the physical pain of all of the pent up emotions for my whole life. Most mm. of which were like anger that Mm -hmm. it hadn't fucking worked out the way I wanted it to work out. And Mm. now I'm in huge debt. And now, like, I'm trying to communicate or trying to learn how to communicate how I'm really feeling and and, and ask for help and support from people. And some of my very close friends did not know how to handle it at all. And so it just kind of was like, whoa, gave me a Mm. lot of space when I actually needed a lot of help. Mm. And... um. That was a huge inflection point and what I call now like my spiritual emergency because, and that was a, a very much a dark night of the soul. I never would have considered myself someone to even think about suicide. But every day for a couple of months, I was it was right there. And some days it was so present with me that being that deep in it, and in that much pain and not not believing at all that there's a chance that I might be able to fix this or no light at the end of the tunnel whatsoever. Multiple panic attacks a day. I was like, okay, now I'm starting to understand what people are talking about online with anxiety and depression and why mental health is so important. And always sure. before I was like, oh, shame. I'm glad I don't have to f- figure out my mental health. Right. Meanwhile, I'm like, don't even realize how anxious I am. <laughs> and that mm-hmm. I've actually been suffering with depression for most of my life, actually, it turned out. Mm. And because I was known as Captain Positive online, and people would come and they'd give me feedback like, oh, you just, how are you so optimistic the whole time? And I'm like, what have I got to complain about? And that mm-hmm. was my thing. I was like, I literally don't have anything to complain about. So anytime I feel like I'd want to complain or f- that I was suffering, I'd be like, stiff up a lip, British, you've got nothing to complain about. Just be grateful that you're... And just mm-hmm. suppress and repress all of that, those emotions. And so, of course, we know that they, these emotions, they don't go anywhere and they just accumulate in the physical body. Sure. And so it was a blessing from the universe to take me off my motorcycle, sit me on my ass and get to really fucking know the parts of myself that I've been avoiding for my whole life. And in that, with the the first time I was ever on my knees praying Mm -hmm. that there is a God so that, that he, she, they, it can help me please through whatever this thing is that I'm going through and show me some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. And mm-hmm. one of the people that reached out to me first, because I immediately like halted the content online and gave it a couple of weeks. And then I mm-hmm. cu- summed up, like summed the courage to summon the courage to 
get on a video and explain what's going on in my life to my audience. Mm. And I'm like, my, my elbows like swollen like this. And, and I'm like, guys, I'm not in a good spot here. I'm really struggling actually. And this, this, and this, and actually I'd, I'm really unhappy. And I got a lot of people supporting me, but of the young 75% male audience that um, I was in this relationship with, so many of them were like, bro, just man the fuck up. Get mm-hmm. on with it. Make a video. Like, what have you mm-hmm. got to complain about? I'd give my right arm to have your life. And I was like, mm. heartbroken because I was, little did I know then, in a codependent relationship with my audience. I needed True. them to tell me that I was a good person. I, that's True. part of the deep motivation for me putting out all this content was like, I, it would feed me to be told that I was useful and helpful mm. to them. And that was mm. how I found my identity and my purpose. It was through others and not through self. And so that was a deep lesson to be like, wow, I've made a thousand videos for you guys and you tell me to man up like when I'm in my darkest hour, like am I not communicating right or are you not hearing mm. me right? And so right, that right. still, there are still threads that are unhealed with that, that I can feel in my body as I explain that where it's like there's still a bit of resistance there to creating mm. content again mm. um, and wanting it to be as authentic as possible but knowing that like happy, clappy, positive gets the views and increases the income and things like that. So it's kind of like a a deeply woven psychological relationship that I have with my audience. Right. I didn't know any of this at the time. So I was posting the occasional crying selfie on Instagram just to, because partly because I wanted people to know that I was having a bad time and that it's okay to not be okay. And I was kind of jumping on board with that, like mental health is a really important thing, Mm. which it is. Um, but there was also a part of me that's like, please understand me, please understand that I'm human too. know me more, know me. Like I just wanted people to know me for who I really was. And, um, one of my friends, replied to my message and she was like are you okay brother mm-hmm. in a way that like nobody else was messaging me it's like actually i'm having a shit time we jumped on facetime and for two hours i just cried and she mm-hmm. held held deep space for me as i opened up for the first time ever just saying this is fucked and this and i just really let some big cries out and at the end she was like and how do you feel now i was like fucking way better <laughs> thanks <laughs> she was like keep crying. Anytime the crying comes up, keep crying. I was like, okay, got this. And she mm-hmm. was also, um, we ended up dating for a while. Um, but she really set me on my path. Mm-hmm. She was like, you're a Pisces. You're born to cry, baby. Let's fucking go. Like you feel <laughs> everything deeply. And she was like, she was like holding a mirror up to me and just be like, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are through her very scorpionic, She's a Scorpio, but like very deep spiritual um, lens. And I was like, wow, there's this whole other world that doesn't exist. And she was like, yeah, no wonder you are suffering so much. You have no connection to spirit or like the true aspect of you are. You're lost Mm. in this ego, this version of yourself that you think you are. No Mm. wonder it's all going pear-shaped for you, bro. Mm. And and so she really helped guide me. And um, that was really, yeah, the spiritual emergency and the emergency is right. in like emergency, but also the emergence 
of the spirit yeah. within me and me developing a relationship with something other than the story of who I think I am. Yeah. Um, I did and, just want to jump in there on the, mm, on the emotional release aspect, which mm, I don't think enough people know. And I, I agree that that, that was mm, really great advice from her to cry when you need to cry. Yeah. There's something about the culture that tries to instill in men almost what your fans were telling you, man up. Mm. Like this, this, like you have so much to be grateful for. Men don't cry. We just get through it. You know, we're thick skinned, but the the truth is, is we're all human. We, we all, whether you're a man or a woman, you have both polarities within you. Men have a feminine polarity and we need to be able to come in contact with that and express that when it, when it's time. I didn't know how to do that either until mushrooms taught me how to cry. Simply just come up. The the emotion would overwhelm me. It would just, from the heart, I would just feel this like, whoa, what is this? Like, I thought I was going to have a great time on these mushrooms. Turned out (laughs) it was a great time. It was a great time because it was exactly what I eh? needed, you know, (laughs) but Sometimes you don't know the, what exactly what you need is to curl up in a ball and release all of the emotional trauma that we hold on to and don't even really mm-hmm. allow ourselves to um, feel that we have. We'll, we'll always just, nah, that's just being weak or nah, that's just some, you know, like, there's always excuses that our mind mm-hmm. can come up with as to why not to cry, why not to express how you truly feel. Yeah. Why, why not to release these emotions that build up? Um, so I, I just wanted to mm-hmm. say that I think that that's, uh, that is a powerful emergence and that crying should be accepted, whether you're a man or a woman, and you just got to do it sometimes. And sometimes it's, you know, we build up and society like reinforces these, like these walls that we put up. Um, and sometimes it does take getting out of your comfort zone for those walls to come down. And in your case, it sounds like it was, uh, in relationship with that, with that partner. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was definitely in relationship to whatever the mushrooms were bringing through. There seemed mm-hmm. to be some type of spirit that would tell me what I needed to hear, which is let it out because it's so much better to let it out. And as you said, you felt better after you let it out. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to, to take a little dive into that before yeah, we continue. Thanks, really. I, I definitely, that was like the core of my message really from then on. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, there's, I'm learning that all beings, all human beings have both masculine and feminine aspects yeah. and energy right. within. And we have all have different amounts of both. Mm-hmm. Um, and our physical expressions are, are not always um, a representation of the of how much of both we have of each. And that's, yeah, I'm predominantly masculine in my energy um, as a man and but my actions and the way I express myself as a, as a being has been in that category of man masculine Mm -hmm. and it's it's, we we're in a society right now which perpetuates this um illusion of weakness in the feminine and Mm -hmm. that to be feminine which emotions are feminine energy it's chaos Mm -hmm. it's um right 
uncontrollable. You can't hold it's feeling it down. what you feel instead of yeah. trying to not tell your. It, we'll, we'll feel a thing and we'll say no, and we'll cut we'll cut the cord off the feeling and pretend it's not there, but that feeling mm-hmm. is still there. You know. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the feminine. That's the feminine. So as soon as I learned that, I was like, okay, shit. Well. Uh, that's not what I was taught at school. So then there's also a grieving process that comes with like, fuck you guys for not teaching yeah. me how to even like pilot this beautiful body, like 100%. and how it really works. Like that, that wisdom has been, um, has been pushed to one side and even made taboo. And to the point where when we're kids at school, the boys are like, um, oh, you're gay, you're this, you're like, if you're at sure, all feminine sure. as a man, you get ridiculed. And that's right. that's a reflection of the society that we're living in where like... Right. Um, which is and people that very... came up, like the, the parents who came up in that society teaching their kids the same thing that they were taught, mm-hmm. furthering that lineage instead of conscious parents teaching them it's okay yeah. to cry and yeah, holding yeah. them through their crying instead of... You know, because a lot of dads, I'm sure, when their kids have their first couple fits with crying and they're conscious enough to understand what the father is saying, mm-hmm. he say, "Man up," you know, and they're mm-hmm. like they they kind of instill that in you, and often from as early as you from, can, like perceive what they're saying. Exactly, and it's like it's like okay, you can get used to a kid crying and stuff, but after a while, it gets fucking annoying. Like the mm-hmm. sound of a child like going on and on and on. And really all that child wants is to be loved and told everything is okay. Exactly. And but if the if your parents didn't have that kind of parenting and their parents didn't have that kind of parenting, then you right. get whatever the programming programmed yeah. response is, which is like it's like you if you're just gonna cry at, at the smallest thing, you're never gonna survive in this world. And so it does mm. come from a survival place as well. And it's, sure, there's a lot sure. of truth there too. It's like, you can't mm-hmm. just, um, uh, we need, we need men who are also very masculine. Like mm-hmm. we need masculine men. And, um, if we're all in our fields all the time, we won't get sh- as much shit done. And like, it's, there's a balance that needs to be had, sure. but to, for a child to be crying and a father to be triggered by that emotional release shows that is a reflection of the father's lack of connection to his own feminine. Mm-hmm. It's like if, um, if, if a man isn't doing their work and some, another man starts opening up and saying, these are all my problems and starts crying, it can be very triggering for that person. And they're like, I actually can't handle you telling me this stuff because it's mm-hmm. making me think of all the shit that I don't want to think about or don't want to feel yeah. into. I'm not ready for that which is why dudes and women beings who are doing the work and um, are specifically healing those aspects of themselves. When someone comes now, when a man comes to me and starts telling me about some of the stuff that he's moving through, if, if if it's similar to something I've moved through, and I've worked on that aspect, it's not going to trigger me. In fact, I'm just going to have more deep love and more empathy. And as I come back to my breath and I listen with more presence, I'm actually creating a very, very safe energetic space around both of us or three of us or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that man can feel safe to express himself authentically, which is ultimately right. his inner child yes. that is now feeling safe around these men that you can trust 
who aren't right. going to kick you out of the tribe or abandon you or tell you you're weak or gay or whatever. Mm-hmm. And to, to create that safe space for that to be seen and most importantly witnessed as well. It's yeah. all very well yeah. doing like these emotional processes um, on our own, which is very important to see ourselves right. in that. But it's so powerful, I found, especially with some of the men's work that I've done, to be witnessed by my brothers in yeah. my most vulnerable. And they're seeing the 12-year-old Ben come out. Mm-hmm. And that 12-year-old Ben is very fucking scared to mm-hmm. be seen in his most authentic expression and not just man up. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is all stuff that I'm learning through this like spiritual emergence. Yeah. And... I'm realizing quite quickly, like, oh, I'm on a healing journey now. Like, this, yeah, this yeah. is a one-way ticket. Um, mm-hmm. And But there are all sorts of benefits that come with that. Firstly, although I still occasionally have sm- short seasons of depression and I still move through some cycles in myself where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't even know if I'm being useful. And the whole thing, all of it comes up and it's triggered by something else and it just needs a little bit more work, a bit more healing every time it comes up. But Mm -hmm. on the whole, I don't want to kill myself and I am happy here. Mm -hmm. And I understand myself on such a deeper level now through this work and through the um through consciously being around people who are very shiny mirrors who are also doing the work so we're all busy like cleaning our mirror to make it as shiny as possible and then to go be look at each other like i'm a reflection of you and you're a reflection of me so anything when i see a man who is like strong and successful and magnetic and i'm not feeling like that sometimes it can trigger the fuck out of me because Mm -hmm. it's a very shiny mirror of all the things that I aspire to be like, but I'm not quite there yet. So we either can breathe through that and be like, okay, this is an incredible human being. What I'm feeling is my feelings. And just because he's a very shiny mirror doesn't mean that like I'm not a good person or how I receive other people in their expressions of themselves, you know? So, yeah, and now I'm literally living in a different reality. Yeah, and a, a huge component of this has been understanding what presence is and my capacity mm-hmm. to develop it um, yeah. and deepen it, and ultimately to like stretch time out into a longer moment that doesn't really have a start or an end. And I take mm-hmm. great pleasure in that, like doing it on my own in meditation, in breath work, but especially in conversation with people um, in, in physical presence with people. Um, I, and especially at uh, festivals with psychedelics involved as well, mm-hmm. where I feel like we create these little portals and we go into them and then time doesn't exist in there. And, that, and that's a deep knowing to me that we're creating an energetic portal there. And so now the, the wizard archetype within me is like, mm-hmm. that's always been there. Now I've just named it and pointed at it. It's like, yeah, I've been wizarding my whole life with a little entrepreneurial, this, that, and the other. And, um, but now I have a relationship to that wizard within me and, mm-hmm. um, learning to work with energy and learning to, f- learning to embrace my sensitivity as well yeah. yep. uh, and use that as a, a superpower. Um, Absolutely. and then the process of being like, okay, I'm, I'm a, I'm a highly sensitive person. 
but I can turn that on and off and I can set my boundaries. And, and so right. the healing journey for me has just been like a huge death, rebirth, death, rebirth, death, rebirth. And right. for a while I was like, Oh, this is who I am. And I'd wear mm-hmm. crystals and I'm like a spiritual person now. And then I'm like, fuck, mm-hmm. that's just the spiritual ego. Sure. And then I go and do men's work and it was so life changing for me. And I was like, Oh, now this is what I'm doing. I'm a men's work person. And then I'm like, okay, no, that's still, that's, these are all just things that are aspects of my life. It's not. And then I realized, Oh, I'm, I'm clinging for a purpose. I'm reaching out for a purpose. Like I need an identity still. And then it's Mm -hmm. like, do I need an identity? Like do, cause I was the kayaker world champion. I was the YouTuber, 700,000 subscribers. Mm -hmm. Like I was the, the, like filmmaker million views on my films. Like everything has always been high pressure, high, performance do it properly or don't do it at all and so there's still the part of me that's like programmed that has can sometimes still have resistance to starting new projects just in case it's not going to be the best one the world has ever seen sure um and so a lot of that is just like releasing my identity from Mm -hmm. being attached to the things i do or what i create or what i make and like that's not who i am I am me, this is an offering. Whereas before with the YouTube stuff, it's like, I am my YouTube channel. And yep. because I didn't, I hadn't had no sense of who I really was. I didn't have a relationship with myself outside of the things I was achieving. And of course, yep. in this society, in this world, if I won a race or world championships or whatever, everybody's like, you're amazing. You're a world champion now. So I'm like, okay, now I'm Ben, the world champion. And people mm-hmm. love that. And so I'll just keep doing that. And now that becomes my identity. Mm. And over over time, now it's like those veils have dissolved away mm. and continue. Sometimes they come back up again. I'm like reaching for things to identify myself with, like right. I do with um, quite often I've noticed. I'm like, oh, I'm Pisces. So like this mm. is like that. And that's and, sure. and like a part of me is like I'm still looking for some something to identify myself as. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. That brings up a lot. <clears throat> I didn't want to stay on this topic too long, th- this part, but what I wanted to say is it's so interesting how when the spiritual path unfolds, we almost become our own psychologist. Because you said you so many to. words. You know, you said masculine, feminine, inner child, boundaries. Mm-hmm. Things, w- o- you know, previously only a psychologist would tell us about. And yet we're realizing them within ourselves. I mean, slowly I've had over a lot of time. therapy sessions as well. Like, oh yeah, I but but that's but that's where we know yeah. that. And I have too. I've had a number. I, mm. Shout out to Jane Calm. She was on my show. Incredible therapist. She works with IFS. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful practice. Um, shout out to all the therapists. Actually, shout out to all out the there. therapists. Fuck thank you. Yes, thank you yes. for helping us come back to ourselves. You Absolutely. are doing the work the divine work thank you and i want to say there's no shame in therapy some people think like you're going to be looked down on if you go to a therapy session it's literally if it should be looked at in the right way people should be giving you kudos and hugs and and pounds for Mm -hmm. going to therapy bro that's like going to the gym for your emotional fitness you know Mm -hmm. what i mean yeah it's like you did a you did a pr you know a personal record you lifted more than ever in the gym, it's like the mental version of that. You lifted more than ever. You went down into yourself and you found 
some of the deep-seated trauma and you've brought it to the surface so now that you know how to work with it instead of it just rule you you know it's what I mean? mad isn't it how many things are the opposite uh, once you go on the spiritual path like yes that, the polarity shift, the opposite the- of what it should be so it's like therapy is taboo it means that you don't have your shit together it means right. that like something weird happened to you or whatever but the right. reality is that when you and i meet someone who's open about their therapy immediately i'm like i trust you more totally i just i feel safer around you i can tell you parts about me because i know you've been to the depths within you as well mm-hmm. and you're not going to judge me either yep and thousand percent feels good to so be that around was- those people it really is. That was one thing that came up. But another thing that came up was something I hadn't thought about in a while, actually, which is through my psychedelic experiences, this was almost just intuited. Um, and then I later found in, in many ancient mystical texts that, that people have believed this for a long time. But all of the trials and tribulations that we go through, all the like, I don't know about this or I'm being called to that, but then it wasn't it and all the kind of stories that you you shared a moment ago, we actually agreed to and signed up for before we incarnated in this life. And it's actually for a bigger purpose than just even this life. Like if we're able to tackle the problems that we agreed to tackle before we incarnated, we're doing it actually for the bigger life. And it's, it is the next life. So sometimes when it seems like, and that's not even to mean death. I don't even mean death when I say that. No, I know um, what you mean, yeah. Yeah, but it's like so many times where we're like, what is this all for? Like, why do I do this? I like to keep in mind that you agreed to do this. You signed up to do this. It was your choice. And it's so hard for people without psychedelic experiences or spiritual uh, readings to understand where, where I'm coming from, but you need it. You, you agreed to tackle these problems that you failed to master perhaps in the past life so that your next reincarnation, your next plane of experience, whatever that may be, will be better and you will have mastered those for the next time around. Mm-hmm. And that's not to devalue this experience and this mm-hmm. and, and being present here and working through our struggles and working through our challenges here. Those have great rewards as well, but it's always kept me um, kind of tethered to why I do the work, why I do the things and set out and fail and, and succeed over and over again is like I agreed to do this before you know? yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to kind of say that and see I what that brings like, up I, I for like you I like that and, and I've I've um, I'm generally in that same ballpark as you and mm-hmm. but I also feel like that is quite uh, a privileged thing to say and um, mm-hmm. because I read somewhere the other day that if you make thirty or thirty-five thousand dollars a year, you're in the like top three percent of people in the world, or something. Yeah, so there's that. there's an incredible amount of suffering that's happening, and there are there's such deep, deep traumatic experiences that people are having that it's kind of difficult to say to everybody, right? This is true. for your like, this is for that's your growth, like, and it's it's um, and and it's only in my imagination that I can 
try to go to those kinds of experiences that people were having with the depths of trauma that realistically yeah. exist in so many corners of humanity. Right. Um, and so I think it's important to acknowledge that and acknowledge that like I haven't experienced that depth of trauma. My trauma has been very light. I didn't, um, cause it, it, kind of going with the whole thing of like, choose, I spoke to, um, third eye drops, Michael Phillip about this slightly on the podcast, um, that I did mm -hmm. with him on my podcast. And he said, yeah, play the game on hard. You mm -hmm. want to come and play the game on hard. You don't just want to breeze through the easy level necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's important to acknowledge that it's not always, um, constructive when you're working with someone or talking to someone who has experienced deep trauma to be like, this is for your greater good, you know? And, yeah. um, cause that might not be where they're at right now. Right. Um, That's however, not the angle that would hit home. And in fact, it might even feel insulting. And I 110% yeah. agree. Yeah. And I'm not here to say what's true and what's false, but to me, what In seems yeah. to be true for me mm -hmm. is the hardships are direct results of our own actions sometimes mm -hmm. um, and or the karma we have accumulated maybe in this life, maybe in the past life. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to say though, you know, like, I, cause I don't know everyone's circumstances and, and I'm still yeah. learning here on my journey, but uh, it does, I have read and, and it seems to resonate as truth to me that the, the, one of the best things you can do to uplift those others and give them hope through what they're going through is to do the work on yourself so that the they can way. see that it's possible. Yeah. They can see that it's possible, you know? Yeah. And, so. and with coming back to the, the train of thought of choosing what's going to happen to us and choosing, um, our experiences, um, there's, there's a lot of talk around, uh, this, this generational trauma ends with me. You know, like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a experienced enough soul or a brave enough or crazy enough soul to drop into this lineage, receive the same pattern, but the pattern stops with me. Mm -hmm. Um, I am the, I'm the spoke in the wheels here. And right. that no doubt involves a lot of pain and suffering. Um, but often the, the old, I suppose, the way I like to think of it is like old souls come in for that, play the game on hard, end generational, multi-generational trauma patterns in that mm -hmm. lineage, which is a pawn in the game of like 20 plays down, it's going to make a difference to here and like everything comes together in the grand crescendo. crescendo. Yes. Um, and that that's kind of the way I like to think about it. When I zoom out, I can't, my mind can't handle the amount of experiences that all the billions of people are having in any one moment. Right. Uh, it's, it's too much for me to fathom yet. Every single one of those experiences I like to believe, um, is exactly how it's meant to be right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, it's weird. It does, it it does seem to be that case, you know, and mm. it's so weird that, bad times are necessary so that we know when things are good. Because yes. if things were always good, you get comfortable in the good, you take it for granted, and you don't even see the good in it anymore. Dude, so, I feel like I'm right there right now in that season. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting you say that because I, as I reminisce on my story and like what's happened, I'm, I'm still 
using language and speaking to it as if like, oh, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. And ultimately it was because it really helped me. So depression, like sitting in this thin band of emotional experience going through life, crazy good things are happening to me where I should be like celebrating, like, bah, like blissed out. But I never, I never quite let myself get there. And it's because I don't, haven't been letting myself go down here. So to go and dredge down into the depths of the underworld and really get to know myself on that level is the only way I can come up here and be like, holy fuck, like this yeah, feels yeah. great. Like I feel great yeah. at the moment and not to necessarily hold on to that or view that as success necessarily, but like, Right. To understand that you can't have one without the other, and the deeper your experience goes in your pain and suffering, right. the 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 more ecstatic and blissful your ascension is as you mm-hmm. navigate these different emotional vibrations. And yep. to just be like in the middle is to miss the whole good mm-hmm. bits and bad bits, you know. And right. and now I find myself in a season where I just in my journal yesterday I was writing like when did I get so comfortable like I'm so comfortable right now and it's dangerously comfortable for me because I um sometimes recently I'm lacking motivation to push myself um and uh, I I wrote in my journal that um I feel like I'm scared to start something and really put my all into it because every time I've done that in the past it hasn't worked out and that's a very negative way to be viewing my history and mm. it's ultimately preventing me from starting something that is meant for me and is constantly on my mind and calling me towards this next phase this next chapter and i'm just slowly applying the brakes just like mm. in places in my life right now where i'm like ah i quite like it. it's quite quite comfortable here <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah, that, yeah i feel like i need to get out my comfort zone a bit more sure mm. sure no same you know i I think that oddly, and we're not always connected to this, is we couldn't be, or we'd kind of be enlightened beings. Um, and if you're an enlightened being, you don't necessarily have aims or goals or things to achieve because it's all perfect. It's all here now. <laughs> but 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 what I was going to say is like things kind of are happening in a divine timing. It's as if everything happens exactly when it should for the exact higher purpose that needs to happen. And going back to the bad and good times, it's so weird because there's this thread going through society about sickness right now, illness. I'm not even going to say the name, but we all know what I'm talking about. And oddly, um, I haven't caught that particular illness, but the last time I was ill, when I look back, it was actually such a good thing for me to realize how amazing it is to not be sick, to be able to taste food in its glorious, flavorful experience, um, to be able to have energy to do what the things I want to do, you know, because Mm. previous I was kind of, last time I was sick, I was in bed for four days straight doing nothing. Mm. You know what I mean? And it always acts as like a, a remembrance towards how good life is when you're not sick yes. or ill. Yeah. And I just want to say that like, even when you get sick, maybe it is for you. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Like, don't take my word for it. That's my experience. But I, I've been grateful for the times that I was put out, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe in a weird way, when your elbow 
you know, got messed up. Maybe it took you through the lessons you needed to learn at that time mm-hmm. to bring you where you are now. And then a hundred percent, but the yeah. journey doesn't stop here. It never, it doesn't stop until we leave this body and, and there's it's no exit. to the there's next no. plane or whatever, whatever's <laughs> going to happen. But I, I do get the sense that we agreed to do this. Yes. We're not here against our will. No. no one just dropped us down here and said, Oh, have fun in the sandbox. That is the earth. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, it sucks here. Here you go. Like we decided to come here. And when I look back to like the mystical traditions that teach that one of them is Tibetan Buddhism and the mm. idea that um, when you die and become all of time and all of space, the source, you, bec- you, you, you merge back into the infinite nature that we came from. It actually is more exciting to come to earth. Because yes. out there, it's all like, what? And it's like, well, okay, so you have the holiness of the now for the infinite millions of years. Well, that's great, but I kind of want something new. I Bro, want- there's no weed in the unity oneness. Like, there's no ice cream. There's no, like, makeup mm-hmm. sex. There's no, like, all the good juicy bits. And I think right. um, Aubrey speaks to this a lot. Um, around how like yeah it's cool like merging with with um, the universe is like an experience mm-hmm. to be had and um, for sure is incredible medicine I suppose I've not tried um, 5-MeO but mm-hmm. um, at some point I will and I imagine that's that's how people describe it to be and certainly that's my experience on sort of higher doses of mushrooms is like right. oh shit i am everything and even lower doses just taking a stroll through nature i'm like i'm the fucking tree definitely mm-hmm. right now um but then to come back into that duality is where all the fun shit goes down this is mm-hmm. how we experience ourselves and it's where resistance exists and it's mm-hmm. in that resistance that, that that our bodies and our minds and our spirits we that's where we adapt and grow and evolve without any of that resistance so everything was just all one the whole time it's like that's not the point of this realm the point of this realm is that there is gravity trying to pull you back to mother and um and the sun will dehydrate you and there are things that you have to take care of you have to be organized to survive here i was feeling into this the other day just to go on a bit of a tangent Mm -hmm. just how um, how the tactics of survival are passed down genetically through bloodlines from the dawn back to the dawn of time, like, um, and learning what is to be feared and what is not to be feared is um, such a crucial aspect of mm-hmm. survival, of course. Um, and now that's almost being that's being hijacked. And but you you they can't hijack the whole psyche. They can't hijack the DNA and the genetics that is built in that is a deep knowing, like a deep ancestral knowing of what is right and what is wrong. And most importantly, that deep knowing that like, if all is confusing around me, at least I know that I'm supposed to be here. Like Mm -hmm. that kind of deep knowing, like, I yep. like complete chaos, but inside I'm like, I'm still exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And that deep knowing is like, 
when you I've been learning to breathe into that and meditate into that deep into that deeper space of like it's beyond language I can't really explain it much more than that but it's like I am meant to be here during this time yeah. despite my ego believing that I'm a victim of this or mm-hmm. suffering because of that or this isn't right and society this and the other there's there's a deep knowing that I'm meant to be here. And with that comes a feeling of deep safety. I wouldn't have signed up for this if it was so dangerous that the truest eternal aspect of me wouldn't make it out the other side. Right. Um, and like Ramdas says in one of his, I'm not very good at quotes, but he's like, die, I think he says, or one of his acquaintances, like dying is absolutely safe. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, that's been a huge part of the spiritual sort of evolution for me has been yeah. really allowing myself time to contemplate death. Mm-hmm. And then of course have many deaths and mm-hmm. death and rebirths in, in all sorts of different ways, including psychedelic plant medicine. Like right. Chunga was the biggest one, one for me in that like very direct, like death mm-hmm. to ego instantly left the body. And right. then when I came back, I've never been more happy to be me and I've never been more happy to be in this realm. I'm like, okay, I know this realm, that shit. Mm -hmm. I am like not versed in at all. And like, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. That gave me, you know, the thought of death. um, It made me think about, look at how almost, and this isn't for everyone because some people maybe don't have the exact, uh, Maybe their their body doesn't work in in a perfect way, but look how many things do work perfectly. We have to urinate. We just go, it right? Just happens, yeah. We have to eat. <laughs> we just chew, and it just digests. You know, like so much goes right that we mm-hmm. don't give credit for how right things are and how mm-hmm. systematically it all flows. Look it's how we dream, body. how we sleep. Yeah, it's a miracle. Um, why wouldn't death be the same thing? Why wouldn't death be the same level of ease as just going to the bathroom and urinating? It's just part of life. It's just part of what we do. Mm -hmm. And our mind is super advanced. It's been evolving for, we could say, millennia, perhaps. Um, um, And it knows how to take care of us in our time of need. Um, in the same way that it sends you into shock if you get in a crash and maybe you don't ha- feel the pain as much or, mm. um, you know, these types of things like the, the body knows how to adapt to what's going on with you and how to comfort you during those times. And mm-hmm. I have no doubt that in the death process, that's exactly what happens. A, a comforting thing happens, especially if you know how to cultivate it, which yeah. these, these psychedelic experiences are little practices. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's practice for the death experience and just let go, surrender, merge with the light. Don't try and hold on, you know, because the more <laughs> you hold on, the more fearful it is, you yeah. know? So, yeah. um, I just really, I really think that death isn't to be feared. It isn't a bad thing. It's just a normal part of life, just like going to sleep at night. And mm-hmm. these medicines definitely showed me that and that you will be taken care of in your death as long as you trust the process. And in fact, uh, I've felt like what, you know, you hear people like they're, they're afraid to go to hell, quote unquote. Mm. I feel like hell is that 
same altered state experience, but you have regret and you're holding on and you don't want to go and you want to stay and you didn't do the things you were here to do. So you can't accept that this is your time. And, and like quote unquote, hell is this emotional torment that you tell your higher self tells you that, um, Hey, we've been trying to show you these signs your whole life and you never listened now you're going to regret not doing what you were here to do. And as mm, long as we show up, yeah, it, as long as we show up and try, we don't even have yeah. to be successful. If we try, that's what our higher self wants for us. Mm-hmm. And it'll give us the kudos. It'll literally say, hey, I see that you tried and you deserve a pat on the back for that. You deserve a nice near-death experience, a nice afterlife experience. We're really just here to give it our best. And if your best is not as good as someone else's best, don't beat yourself up about that. It's Mm -hmm. your best is your best. And find some type of ease in realizing that you're bringing your best. And if you're not, try to bring your best. Just try. Just try. That's it. You know, it's all about effort. You know, like. Also, because there is no, um, I feel like in the school of Earth, in the school of duality where us as souls, we come to incarnate and, and have this body as a physical anchor into this realm so that we can be in, um, in time and space and have that experience of linear, the illusion of linear time Mm -hmm. and be, um, captivated in the learning from the trees and learning from nature and learning from this like conscious, rock that we are um so intrinsically a part of through our Mm -hmm. physical vessels um i feel like yeah the the process of all of that coming to an end is just as much as it coming to a beginning like the the death and the rebirth it's like you can't have one without the other and we definitely are taught to fear death um and that it's to be avoided at all costs, of course. But it's like, we, and something we don't, we need to teach our children not to run straight at a cliff, you know, like and there are the survival right. instincts that are required for us to um, use our free will to keep ourselves alive. But there are deep um, instinctual messages that come through that are, that are our ancestors, but not in a ghosts around us kind of way where our bodies hold all of the information of all of our previous ancestors and all of their experiences. And that comes Mm -hmm. through too. Quite often I find as I tune into myself a little bit more. Um, But my recent um, ponderings around death have been around the concept of like, as soon as you die, you're born again. Mm -hmm. And we, I like to think that there's like a period of time where I'm up there and I'm chatting to the angels and we're all having a whiskey or something. And we're like, right, (laughs) next round, what do you want to learn on the next round? It's like, well, I didn't quite nail this. And actually, Mm -hmm. and, and my, the spiritual ego within me is like, no, I'm an old soul. And I've been here many times before. And I just come in for the fucking war on conscious list, like Mm -hmm. take my shield and like straight back (laughs) out of vagina, like ready to fucking rock and roll again. Right. Um, so there's, yeah, there's all sorts of different s- stories that my imagination likes to like carry off. Right. On, but um, I definitely identify and feel 
you know, I, I feel a resonance with the Tibetan Buddhist idea of the afterlife bardos. There are several rooms that you visit um, after death before you reincarnate. And in these rooms, there is no time, there is no space. So it isn't, it isn't like time between it all, but it also isn't instant. It's, it's weird. It, it's like emerging back into timelessness for all of time and all of space until we incarnate back into time and space. So right. you're kind of right in saying that as soon as you die, you're reincarnated because time doesn't exist where you go and where, and when you come back from, mm. but, but there is a sense of certainly infinite experience. And that's what people talk about with the Bufo um, five MEO. Um, they, they get this sense that they are the primordial energy of the universe expressing itself through all of creation, through the plants, through the bugs, the insects, you know, through the animals, the mammals, the, the fish, let alone the humans. And mm -hmm. we, we are exactly equally, all of us are equally part of that source energy, mm -hmm. equal to a fly, equal to an ant, equal to your greatest hero. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, we all are equally a part of this divine play, you know, and mm. it really is precious. It, and, and it wouldn't be as precious without the, the bad times to show us what the good times are. So it's all necessary. It's all necessary, like grieving, crying, getting in your feels, and also in triumphs and victories and successes. It's all necessary for our growth and our learning. I just feel that. I just feel that in my my bones about mm. why we're here. And truly, like yeah. the real message is it's a miracle. It's a miracle <laughs> yeah. that we're here because when time and space is so vast, we could have incarnated as something else entirely or not incarnated at all. The fact that there's 7 billion people on the planet, that seems like a lot of people, and maybe it is a lot of people, but in the grand scheme of like pure potential that exists in the cosmos, it's like a 0.0001% chance that we would be here now. And I like to remember that, that I'm lucky to be here, even mm -hmm. if I'm grieving, even if something didn't go my way, even if I failed at something I set out to achieve, like I'm lucky to be here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for all of that, brother. Mm, mm -hmm. Such a perfect reminder so well yeah. put as well um yeah. something that was coming through for me on that is remembering and this happens on um on and off of psychedelics um for me is almost like the vision i have is like myself as the buddha laughing that like mm -hmm. I would come here to have all of these not me, not me, not me, me moment, mm -hmm. like so that I can. It's got to be no, 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 no for the one yes, where it's like, ha, mm -hmm. ha, love that. <laughs> very clever, very clever, and in that kind of flow is where I find synchronicities that I would not have wanted to know how it's going to play out 
this whole like we don't know what's going to happen in the future we've never fucking known what's going to happen in the future we like mm -hmm. to predict so that and we have like maybe some rough idea but ultimately it is all the unknown mm -hmm. and i wouldn't have it any other way like mm -hmm. when when the universe conspires in a synchronistic way that just makes me laugh so deeply where i'm like this is there's something else going on here and I don't even want to know what it is because I'm just here for the ride and the enjoyment of it. I'm here mm -hmm. to witness it and feel it rather than like dissect it and explain it, you know? Mm -hmm. And the dissecting and explaining is really fun to try and do. Mm -hmm. But we know it's ultimately like pointless in a, in a lot of ways. It's I mean, it's not pointless if it's fun to do, but um, we're never going to quite get there with language. The mind can't wrap its mind around it it's a feeling, it's a felt sensation, and it's an experience that that I have every now and then where without wanting to chase the peaks of everything all the time, mm -hmm. but just to acknowledge um, those moments where it's like, <gasps> it was all worth it. Yeah. And I, lie, I, I know why I had to be ignorant to my truths and myself for such a long time. It's like my higher self is being like, pulling out the final card at just the right moment that makes me go boof yeah okay whoa does that make sense like a, does. struggling with the language a little bit again but like those moments um, yes. make everything worthwhile it and does. they help me remain open to them and the more i'm because they're happening all around us all of the time if we want to tune into that yes and this is partly my struggle at the moment in the season that I'm in is like, okay, I get to assign meaning to this. I get to choose what my, what meaning my life has or what any of this has. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, like that's, that's great. And I'm finding some meaning in things and I, I'm allocating meaning to things and it's always open to change. Um, but it can have me, not produce anything or not do anything because sometimes I'm like, well, I actually really love just bearing witness to all of this the whole time because I've spent yeah. so much of my life just like in my own head and creating stuff and like focusing on a goal and an end goal and a get here and a do this and a that and achieve. Now yeah. I feel like I'm swimming in this perpetual now. I mean, not all the time. But more mm -hmm. often than not, to the point where I'm like, I'm very content with how my life is right now. I'm mm -hmm. very content with just going for a hike on this incredible mountain that I've this ridiculous view of this. I wish I could show you mm -hmm. the Table Mountain in Cape Town right now on this beautiful day. I go for a hike. I'm connecting with the mountain, the land, everybody that's walked there before. And I've got a grin on my face. There's not a single thought moving through my head that isn't in alignment with what's happening or adding to the bliss of the situation. I don't need anything. Mm. And, and then there's this part of me that's like, what about your dreams? What about your aspirations? Don't you want to build your audience up again and share this with people and be the medicine and like do all that? So there's all these invitations that are sort of bubbling up in me. Um, and it's my job now in this next season of mine to balance that with the YouTube videos that I make and, bringing myself across in my audience in a in a way that's authentic where I can try and somehow like decipher this feeling that I have of loving being alive and loving being a human 
um, mm -hmm. and deliver it through the YouTube videos that I make or the photography that I do or the mandalas that I create or whatever it is that is my creative expression and my offering that I'm putting out to the world. Like, where does that come from? What's the mm -hmm. intention within that? And I think that was why I ultimately had to have a motorcycle accident in the end because I was doing it just to boost my own ego a lot of the mm -hmm. time. I was doing it because... I want to be seen as the best filmmaker. I want to be seen as the best blogger and mm -hmm. bringing that creative, um, bringing that competitive element into creativity is like missing the point almost completely. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was a reflection of my complete lack of connection to the divine, my lack yeah. of connection to spirit and my, the truth of who I am. Um, right. and now it's like, Oh, wow this experience of my incredibly privileged life that I'm having right now, I, I'm quite content just wit bearing witness to it all and yeah. moving through it in a gentle way and just um, witnessing the divine and everything and doing things that are helpful for other people and being in service of others if and when mm -hmm. it's needed. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, I have to turn this into something that someone else can experience that can maybe help wake it up in them and remind yeah. them of the truth of who they are right. in the same way that I'll listen to, um, a, an incubus song that I listened to when I was 14 or 15 and I would scream the words mm -hmm. when I was a kid and I'll scream the words again today. But the one line in there, that song will hit me. And we spoke about this on your podcast. We talked about music a lot. Yep. The, the line in there, the poetry in there will hit me in a way that could only hit me at this phase of my life right now. 100%. And that is the deep artist. That is the true. And that makes me, if that person took the time to take their experience and create a song that would lull me because it's a nice song and I like it when I was 15, to then hit me with that one line when I was 35 years old that completely changes the way I feel about my whole experience as a human. Yeah. Being an artist is fucking cool. Mm -hmm. Like, if that's your intention, if that's where you're taking your work. Um, right. Art. Yep. That's what we leave behind, you know, that can share yes. those seeds of awakening i think art is and art takes so many forms video yeah. writing music podcasting dance. and beyond dance comedy like stand-up comedy even mm -hmm. there's so many things that came up there that i want to try and hit before we run out of time well, one of them was the incubus track aqueous transmission yes i had an awakening to that song i was on mushrooms listening to that song and man, did it give me a real like heart-wrenching epiphany. Not, not in a heart-wrenching bad way. Uh, maybe heart-wrenching is not the right word. Heart-warming, heart-warming mm -hmm. epiphany where I did cry. I did realize that life is us floating down this river and being, con being content. Oh yeah, I can hear it right now and it's bringing mm -hmm. up emotions. Um, so I did want to mention that. But another thing you mentioned a little earlier was laughing. And you said that the Buddha laugh. Yeah. And I do recognize laughter as, you know, they say laughter is the best medicine. And it's, it's very true. And sometimes I like to, to think that, um, you know, the, mu the mushrooms, you know, they are the medicine, right? But really what that medicine does is allow us to get out of our own way 
And one of my most favorite aspects of several mushroom trips, this doesn't happen on all of them, but I get these, like, there's these moments of hilarity. The, this hel- the hilarity of existence, the hilarity of my here now, the hilarity of the things I've been through. And I'll just have like a laughing fit to the point I can't breathe. It's literally like, yes, your stomach hurts and it won't stop. And I'm just the like, cosmic ah. joke, bro. It's yes. the big cosmic joke. And that the, the yes. vision I often get is like Shiva or, um, Actually, that Shiva came to me in my first Chunga journey, like lotus mm. position, floating just out of infinity, whoom, just appeared, mm. just with that grin. Yeah, and all I could hear is isness. Everything just is the isness, the isness. And yes. if you've had this experience and you're listening to this podcast, it might be activating that same feeling right now because I've had that when I've told this mm. story. Mm-hmm. The isness of everything, and it's that grin. And yeah. then the laughing Buddha as the highest form of intelligence to to bring humor into any situation. Um, yes. The Tao actually, it says to accord with the Tao is to be with what is. And you were just bringing that up about the isness. Mm. Um, and I just think that it's one of the most powerful books I've ever read. And it's actually a quick read slash listen. Um, I've mostly listened to it, but I've heard it. 20 times and on youtube you can get through it in two hours so it's kind of like watching a movie gonna do um but but the Tao de ching by lao tzu Mm. it'll ring i'm sure it'll ring true with a lot of the things that you're bringing it's been coming into my field through other people mentioning it and on podcasts Mm. and things to the point where um i've seen the book and not gotten it but i'm like it's Uh it's coming in yeah. yeah, it seems it seems what like an over your head text and like a super in the weeds spiritual text, but it's not. It's honestly very simple. Nice. It's just talking like about that. what is. And yeah. the Tao is what moves the sun and the moon. Nothing moves it, but the Tao. It's like it just brings you into accordance with the the natural rhythm of life. And that there isn't always something to strive for. There, and I don't know, I got the sense that by a number of the things you were saying that this is the time to read the Tao Te Ching or just listen to it. Just listen to it on your walk, on your hike. Mm. You know, I think you'll really resonate with it. But Thanks, man. Those, I'll definitely will, check that out. Absolutely. Mm. It's been a pleasure. But yeah, any last things you want to dive into before we run out of time here? Just deeply grateful for this inspiring conversation and for you hosting me on this epic podcast. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. And yeah, just it's a it's a it's a moment where I'm realizing like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. These are mm-hmm. the people that I'm connecting with on a much deeper level. And I have many opportunities to um to honor what is being called in my heart, which looks Mm -hmm. like collaborating with people like yourself and having these kinds of conversations that are not just a great way for me to verbally process what's happening for me previously or now or whatever's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, but for other people to listen in and potentially receive some kind of medicine for this crazy mystery of life and the chaos of it all. 
And I know that I receive a lot of medicine, especially from podcasts of people mm -hmm. who have been through shit and they're happy to share their story, but in the in a way that their voice is calm and they gives it gives me hope that there is going to be an uh, a time in my life when all of this will make sense again yeah. and again mm -hmm. and again. And I'm getting to that stage now where it's like that's kind of what's perpetually happening for me. It's like like you were saying before, I'm I'm in this like doing not doing, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 yeah, just thank you. Yes, how sure. and, that off, yeah. and thank you thank you for being here thank you for reaching out i'm so glad we connected yeah, it's man. been awesome to know you you're a very inspiring individual and yes you keep you keep the good vibes flowing and i really appreciate you brother so uh, but um where can people connect with you and then uh we'll wrap the show shout out to anybody listening all the way two hours in this podcast thank you for listening to us and may you have a fucking incredible year happy new year and um you can find me if you feel called to on instagram my name is ben jam like benjamin but without the in uh, benjam.uk that's my website and on youtube just search for ben brown and i will be uploading um monthly if not weekly videos this year and I also have a podcast called New Perceptions, and which is quite similar to this vibe. And um, yeah, that's about it. Absolutely. Thank you, brother Matt. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here, guys. And we'll see you on the next episode.